So these are the tools of meditation. Uh, you have to use them now. Or you don't. You can forget all about them if you want. But if you're here, you might as well try to use them. And uh, <laughs> notice that the emphasis is uh, like like mindfulness is the, is a very is given the the lead in in all Buddhist meditation. They call it mindfulness path to the deathless. And in the Dhammapada, there's this beautiful verse that I like to quote, and it goes, "Apa uh, no, apamado amatapadang," and apamado means. Uh, Heedfulness, paying attention or mindfulness, apamado amatabada, is the way to the deathless. Amata means deathless, deathless way, amatapadang. So, I mean, that's, they contemplate that, the deathless mindfulness path, the way to the deathless. Uh, mindfulness is, is being able to pay attention or pure. Then gate gate paragate parasangate bodhiswaha, the Art Sutra mantra, where pure presence is transcending, ever transcending. Now this is where uh, reiterating this over and over, this this uh, the, the, this attentiveness to life, paying attention, awakened awareness, mindfulness is, is the is where you realize the deathless because until you realize that then your all your identities are with death do you realize that you know you all your if you're identified with your body what's it going to do live forever some people would like you know to have a physical immortality taking uh, Kind of uh, ginseng and like that. <laughs> how long you keep it going? Uh, the, I personally it doesn't attract me at all. Keeping this thing going forever sounds like it would be dreadful. Uh, but if you're identified with this is what you think you are, then then you're you're identified with death. If you're identified with uh, your emotions, your feelings, your thoughts, your memories, they're all death-bound. They're all end, things that change and end, arise and cease all the time. So, I mean, your, 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 your identity out of ignorance is with what is, what is dead or dying. So then they... But then mindfulness is the way to the deathless. So it's like paying attention. One, you, you can see so much of one's life, one is really quite deadened. You can just kind of drift by in a dead way. Put no effort, take no interest, just kind of go along with this. <coughs> go and get up in the morning and drag around, do this, do that. And uh, maybe the sexual desire gives you a bit of kind of oomph in life, and then that 
stops after a while, and then you get, get a little, you can go have something nice to eat, but then you get tired of eating, and so life is just a, maybe just a, a kind of experience of just trying to kind of make it interesting. But your your aim is always towards is trying to get stimulated or awakened by external things, like saying, "Interest me. I want you to to entertain me. I want you to say interesting things. Let's have an interesting conversation." And if and if you say boring things, I think I'll go because the boredom just puts me to sleep. And, and where where I, if you say things interesting, then I kind of get I can feel stimulated, uh, interesting, feel like I'm somebody again. But notice that this that everything's coming from outside. You know the the television, the the people, the the thrills, riding in the fast car, the drugs, the drink, the sex, all of it is, is you're, you're taking things to stimulate the mind. And so you're, they're very dependent then to get stimulated, to feel alive. You've got to always have something out there going into you and, a, a, you know, waking you up or stimulating you in some way. And when it's not there, then you just one sinks into depression or boredom, into kind of a death-like state. So then, I notice in meditation, what we're doing is we're not meditation is is in terms of worldly values is boring, isn't it? The breath and all this it's kind of more boring than watching your breath, looking at your body sitting for an hour. Just, gosh. <laughs> or the sound of silence compared to um, reggae or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> but in order to notice that, or the the neutral feelings of your clothes touching your skin. Boring sensation, isn't it? But what you're doing is that you're, you're paying attention. You're, you're developing the effort. It's coming from within you. It's not, you're not getting kind of stimulated by this. If you wanted stimulation, you wouldn't come here. You'd go, you know, into London. London's a very stimulating place. You know, a lot of interesting, fascinating, uh, exciting things happen in London. But uh, so most people go to London <laughs> rather than come here. <laughs> but, the, uh, but those of you advanced souls like yourselves come here, and the, and this is. But the, notice that the practice is is this developing this this attentiveness. In the, in the moment. So we're not here to have kind of entertaining uh, time and, and be stimulated or, or inspired or uplifted, <coughs> but to, to, to develop, to practice this way in which you, you, you realize that you can do it. You see how you can do it, how you can uh, pay attention to your life. 
you don't need things stimulating you all the time. You don't need, you're not dependent on interesting things or good health or fascinating friends or successful uh, pleasant activities or whatever. You, you're, you're, you're for your happiness, you can find, you can use whatever you have to experience in life. You can at least pay attention to it, even if it, no matter how unpleasant it is, you can still accept it. Like, so like metta, this metta practice, translated usually as loving kindness. So loving and kind, or loving is a word that is used for so many things. But in this way, it means more like unconditioned love. It's not it has no conditions on it. I love you if, if you uh, treat me nice. Kind of, that's conditioned love, isn't it? I'll love you if you love me. If you don't love me, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> and I love you only when you do what I like. When you don't do what I like, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> or uh, if you get sick, or if you, if, if whatever things get unpleasant, I don't like them anymore, I don't love them. But the metta as unconditioned love is, is uh, as I said before, is not making deals or preferring or liking, but accepting. And this, this is very important as a religious experience to be able to accept the totality of everything. Everything is, belongs in the total, in the totality. Everything. Absolutely everything you can think of belongs. The devil belongs. All the bad things belong, all the good things, all the neutral things. Even pollution and um, plastic belong. So everything belongs, and there's nothing that doesn't belong. And this is just, so in, in terms of, of totality, you see, metta is, is, is bringing into consciousness, it's a way of, of recognizing totality, and which includes the, all the conditions, uh, which is not, you know, where we say critical mind divides everything up. Your critical mind, your discriminative mind says that the good is this way and the bad is that way. We should get the good, get rid of the bad. Uh, the, the logic that comes from that dualistic thinking then is kill the devil, get rid of the bad, hold on to the good. And so we're always resisting like uh, we're always struggling with the bad because we have, we, who, who, you know, we all have bad thoughts. Or in times we have, we feel anger or we have jealousy or fear, things like this, so that we're struggling with it, trying to get rid of it. But with metta, then we're, we're not trying to get rid of it anymore. It goes on its own, things that rise cease. 
So you're allowing things to be what they are. You're not condemning them. So this is so in with metta is it's being patient with what especially with uh, you don't need patience with pleasure and happiness and beauty but with what you don't like and don't want but both internally and externally I found this very helpful in in reflecting on things because there's a lot a lot in this world and in my experience of life that I don't like and I don't want it. So, because of this, and, and, and I can feel very, and I can get into kind of a self-righteous phase. Like somebody, with religious people, it's easy to get self-righteous. Because you're, you know, because you're, uh, you're dealing with um, uh, morality and and religious, uh, and, and a kind of loyalty to a religious path, and and to truth, and all kind of very altruistic things, and marvelous kind of ideas, and and being a monk, you're you're you know you're celibate, and you're an alms mendicant, you're very moral, and you're very you've you've dedicated your life to religious uh, realization, spiritual realization. So all these things that you know can be seen in terms of very inspiring, but also, if you attach to any of these things, then you you become uh, uh, hypocritical. You be you you you're full of your own kind of I'm superiority. You you look down on people who aren't who aren't so strict or who who haven't dedicated their lives towards spiritual development like I have. You kind of they're not quite as good as I am, and, or you're celibate. You think anyone that has sex is, you know, slightly tainted because you, know, <laughs> you don't you don't do those things, and so you can get supercilious by being so good and so pure and so moral. But that's there's no meta there either, is there? It's just that one is one is attaching to virtuousness and. Purity and with this, with this ignorant sense of yourself, and so it, what it does is it makes you uh, a unbearable prig, a religious hypocrite or bigot. There's plenty of those in any religion. Oh, and, and then if you can, then you can get very on your high horse, you know, and want to uh, kill the heretics or excommunicate or throw people out of the Sangha. We had a meeting uh, last week with a senior monk. There was a monk in Thailand, a, a, a certain monk, not a Thai monk, but he's, this monk is a tr- real troublemaker, causes endless problems and trouble. Wherever he goes, he's a troublemaker. <laughs> so, uh, and I could see there's, that there is a movement to try to, let's kick this guy out of the Sangha. I can understand, I feel the same way, I like to kick him out of the Sangha. Once the emotional part, you know, the, but I don't trust that. 
I don't I know where that's coming from, you know, and, and so I don't I don't I don't follow that thing in me that says we've got to get rid of this guy. I don't I don't believe it. I mean I I can feel such an emotion, but I'm not but I'm I've studied it and I know that it's coming from ignorance and fear and uh, uh, self-importance and so forth. So I don't, I wouldn't want to act on such a, such a feeling. But I can have metta for that feeling, metta for my own silly emotions or as well as metta for the, the monk that everyone wants to kick out. The, which means you, you're not approve. It doesn't mean you you approve or you're you, you don't you're 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 learning how to be patient with and and have an an attitude of accepting the the total the totality the devils the demons the victims the victimizers the good and the bad everything. So metta has its, it's like, it's, it's, it, everything belongs. It's, and, and that way you, it changes your attitude. Because a lot of times we think, this shouldn't be happening. What's happened in like Bosnia? Isn't it? We think, it shouldn't be happening. They shouldn't be doing that. Killing each other. Raping the women. Uh, torturing people. They shouldn't be doing that. Or in Sri Lanka now, there's this war that's been going on for the past decade between the Sinhalese and the Tamils. And Buddhists shouldn't be doing things like that. Sri Lanka is a Buddhist country. It shouldn't, they shouldn't be acting like that. But yet in terms of metta, then we have metta for, 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 for the whole thing. I mean, because it, the, this, is, this is what's happening, both the, the bad and the good, the right and the wrong. The victim, the victimizer, the rapist, the person that's raped and so forth. Where the metta is, is non-discriminative, non-preferential. So this is, this is, a, this, this is a, say a, a way of training the conscious experience to to not be caught in 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 revengeful thoughts in in just anger and re- and endless resentments and and uh, blaming and and frustration and irritation over the way things are in the world and it, but it doesn't mean we don't notice either or we don't do anything but when we do things out of ignorance and out of aversion, then we tend to do things, you know, we do things that are quite harmful. But if we, if we act with wisdom, mindfulness wisdom, then our actions are more than likely to be of benefit, of use to ourselves and others.
but also direct that towards yourself because you you may feel you know like if if you think uh, you think of somebody somebody that's really hurt you badly and then you you think I never could have met her for that person never because they've hurt me too badly they've done too many they've said too many hurtful things they've treated me too badly I can never ever have metta I can never just say I accept this because just the memory of that person brings up such anger and resentment such bitterness in me to then have metta for that feeling of bitterness it works you know, if you have metta for your own mood, for your own inability to forgive, so that this metta is is just being patient with your inability to forgive, and as you begin to to uh, have patience and an acceptance of your own feelings, negative feelings, then. It also, you know, expands outward into where we can forgive eventually. If we can, if we, once we, we uh, get at the root of the problem, which is in, in the mind itself. Remember one time a monk was giving a metta retreat and, and he was, uh, every evening they'd, they'd spread metta to their parents. may my mother be well may my father be well and one person on this retreat had a great hatred for her mother so every time mother came into the picture they may my mother be well she felt rage now think of your mum may my mother be well may she be happy free from all suffering and then this person, <laughs> I can do it for your mom, but not for mine. <laughs> so then, then she started feeling guilty. And then, you know, I really must be a terrible person. I can't even have met her for my own mother. And then she got very, just hated the retreat and got very upset because uh, she couldn't cope with the anger and the, the the rage that that idea of sending metta to your mother would bring into her mind in the so then when that happens then that's a very that's that's you know we're not trying to 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 make ourselves do this not like this you have to do this but you know you have to have this kind of loving kindness towards everything and, and like you 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 want you, you can kind of maybe intellectually do that, but emotionally you you might not feel that way at all. So then, on the emotional level, then have metta for the emotion you're feeling, which is like if if I feel I'll ne- I can't forgive, and when they say may my mother be well, I just feel this rage. Then I have metta for this rage, this this resentment and rage. What that I'm feeling now. What do, how, what do you mean by that? Like having metta for this rage that I'm feeling now. I'm not having metta for, for my mother, but I'm having, 
I'm willing to feel, willing to bear with this rage as it is now. I accept it for what it is right now, this rage in me. While everyone else is spreading loving kindness to their mom, I'm sitting here, this incredible rage of metta for that. See, so, do you understand what I'm pointing to? It's, it's, a, it's a skillful means to, because if you're just trying to have metta for your mom when you don't feel it, you know, it's something in you, you resents it. Because emotionally, you, you know, the ideal may be very proper and nice, but emotionally you're, you may, you may want to kill her. And then you can only feel that you're a horrible person for, for having such a, a terrible thought in your mind. But even, even that one ha- can have metta for that thought. And you'll find if you, if you do this, practice this way, then you will... The, you won't be creating this endless resistance uh, caught between the ideals of what you should be and the emotional problems that you have, which are not uh, not like your ideals. Like, we should love everybody as an ideal. Universal love for all beings is an ideal. That's what we should, we should be loving and kind for all beings. And it's easy to do it in abstract, like, it's easy to have loving-kindness for a billion Chinese that are not threatening you right at this moment. And then it's easy for me to spread metta right now to China. Oh, there's a billion Chinese over there somewhere. One is called Fu Manchu, one is called... <laughs> 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 don't know any. <laughs> but all that over there, a billion of them, I have metaphor. But say, if one of you is giving me a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> the closer you are, the more difficult it is. <laughs> so, so metta is, is you know, the real challenges are with your family, isn't it? Like in a community, in the monastery. Sister Tanasandra will probably agree with me on this. It's really a challenge to have metta for some of these people in this community. <laughs> 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 They're all good people. Not one of them is, is bad or, you know, anything. You know, not like they're, they're bad ones or... But... Living community, you're living closely with each other, and you can really irritate each other. So you can just somebody, the way you know, somebody uh, doesn't show up uh, at the time when they promised to wash the dishes. You can you can get outraged. You know, not not somebody being butchered or tortured and uh, some terrible thing happening, but there's somebody five minutes late when they should have, one can, one can get into a real state of, of 
dare you, you know, so un totally undependable and you shouldn't, how do you expect to be a, live a spiritual life when you're so undependable? <laughs> Go into a rage like that. So then metta is also having, having a, a, the, the, a willingness to, to bear with even your own kind of foolish uh, selfishness. Like in terms of, like being a monk, I found it in Thailand, for example, I was, uh, they'd read, you know, they have, have these readings sometimes in the morning in Thai, and they'd give you the idea of a monk is a, you know, we, we keep, we're strict with the rules, we're very moral, we, we, we're alms mendicants, we're, we're happy with what we get, uh, we, we accept the food with gratitude, the alms food that people give us, we accept that with gratitude. Uh, we, we're given a shelter for the night, roof over the head, we're grateful for that. Uh, we're given a robe and we're, we're grateful for that. And medicine for illness, we're grateful for that. Uh, and we're kind, we practice loving kindness to all creatures. And selflessness, harmlessness, I mean, it's all very beautiful stuff, isn't it? That's all the ideal. Then the realities of daily life in a monastery. <laughs> well, here, you know, you say alms food, and I'm grateful for the alms food. But I remember just being so ungrateful for the alms food. <laughs> or, you know, God, expect me to eat this stuff. <laughs> Or the, or the shelter for the night. And remember, the, 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 when I went to Wat Pong or Ajahn Chah's monastery, you know, here I'm six foot two man, and, and they put me in this tiny little cootie, where they kind of, <laughs> I couldn't stand up straight, and I was always hitting my head on the door frame. And I had bend over, and I, and they did have taller cooties, uh, and I got quite indignant. wasn't grateful for the shelter for the night. It was a shelter for the night, but or the uh, you know the the uh, the ideals of of what a monk should be. But the pettiness they bring up all this immaturity. You kind of. Really, the monastic life at first, the first few years, it'd bring up just uh, a lot of, of immature emotions. I'd feel really, really kind of annoyed over this, or wasn't going to do that, and I rebel <coughs> against this, didn't like that, and, and uh, went on like, and you know, really had so much negativity. I wasn't this, this wonderful alms mendicant that was just sitting there, thank you. <laughs> but it's through having metta for all of that that it's like developing I mean when the problem was that I tend to think I shouldn't be like that I'd have these I feel jealous and I feel I shouldn't be jealous a monk, a good monk wouldn't be jealous, he'd be happy, he'd have mudita. 
if you got a nicer <coughs> dwelling than I than I have. You came, say, Venerable Suvajo, new monk in the monastery, and they give him a nicer place to live in than I have. And, and I should be filled with mudita for that. I should think, oh, I'm so happy for him that he got the that he got such a nice dwelling that's so much nicer than mine is. <laughs> that would be, that's the ideal, but, but I, w- I wouldn't feel like that. If, you know, how come they gave him that? He, I'm, I've been here longer. And, he, they <laughs> and then I'd feel guilty about that. I feel I shouldn't, I should, I should be glad. I shouldn't be jealous or resentful. <coughs> So there'd always be this resistance, you know, like you'd feel one way, you'd feel the jealousy or envy or resentment, and then you'd, then immediately you'd say, I shouldn't feel that way. So it gets complicated. You not only have got the emotion, but then you've got this aversion to the emotion, and this kind of thing in you that says you shouldn't have that such an emotion. A good monk shouldn't have those kind of emotions. So there's this kind of tyrannical in thing inside is always saying you shouldn't have these things. You're a bad person for being jealous or thinking like that. So contemplate this, this actually the I began to see that so much of the problems really were not with jealousy but with aversion to it. Uh, this thing in me that hated jealousy in myself, that hated myself for feeling that emotion, that that hated myself for having immature emotional reactions, that hated myself for for not being uh, what what I thought I should be. So there's a lot of this self uh, this avert self aversion. Hatred, self-hatred, always judging and saying you shouldn't, you shouldn't be like that, you shouldn't feel like that, you shouldn't think like that. So then, the metta practice also for that, metta for all the, all of it, the whole, the whole lot, the type, the inner tyrants, the emotions, which is 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 a willingness to be with them, let them be what they are, and then they they cease. Like the, the 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 Dharma law, law of Dharma, what what arises ceases. So you're in this in mindfulness, then you're 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 accepting the totality, whatever it is, because the mind is like it, the mind is so vast that it can accept everything, everything, the totality. So it's like embracing the totality. Then, the, but the, but everything is changing, and the conditions are always changing. So, when you're letting things, when you're when you're accepting things for what they are, then they their natures to cease, and you're not making them go away. You're letting them do what they're supposed to do. What arises ceases. That's a very skillful way of of uh, letting go, not making karmic uh, more bad karma with the with your emotional habits and not because like karma it is the law of karma is it, if you attach you know if you follow this emotion you make karma if you 
resist this emotion, you make karma. So you always, you know, if you if you if you if you feel the emotion of jealousy arises and you follow it, you're making karma. And if you resist it, you're making karma. But if you're accepting it, recognize, letting it be what it is, actually willing to feel it, be with it for what it is, because it's here and now, it's just this way, you're not making any karma with it, you're just, you're, you're just letting it be. And then it's, in, because it has arisen, then it will eventually cease, so it ceases. So you're letting things <coughs> cease according to their nature. So that's metta. So, like, we're not trying to ask you to, to, to adopt a role, and you know, to, to intimidate you and tell you what you should be, and then and then make you feel terrible because you you don't think you could ever live up to such a high standard, high level of virtue. But in but giving you the 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 encouragement to to be able to work with even the most awful habits or terrible thoughts or emotional uh, problems. Then the then the uh, sound of silence is another skillful means that I really enjoy using. And I don't know, some people might not recognize it or might not hear it, but those of you who do, it's very, very helpful. And it's like, it's like space in the room, or it's like, I found the sense of listening very meaningful to me. Um, because I, 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 I like to listen to my own, to my mind. Like I did this years ago in Thailand, I just listened to the, things going on inside my mind. So I would, uh, I'd be having bad thoughts in my mind and I'd listen to them. You know, I'd, I'd take the position of someone listening to this thing going on inside me. The inner child or whatever, what are the modern terms for it? Listen to this screaming thing or this tyrant or this this kind of hardline, self-righteous prig, or this uh, self-pitying slob, or whatever, I'd, I'd listen. So I could, I began to realize, listen, just listening to yourself thinking is, uh, is, is a good practice. But then I noticed that Behind these emotions and thoughts, there's this, so, this this ringing sound, this reverberating silence. So I'm more and more, I'd, I'd tune into the silence, and I begin to. I wouldn't be just endlessly going around with the with the thoughts or the emotions. So you're like you're you're really seeing between the, the things between. I mean, the spaces between, or the silence between sounds, or the Spaces between thoughts. Because when I first 
started meditating, I didn't think I could ever stop thinking. I was an obsessed thinker. Just think, 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 think. And I remember, you know, trying to practice meditation uh, even when I was a layman living in Bangkok. Go to the monastery and sit there. They say, watch your breath. Think, 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 think. Why don't you watch my breath? Am I watching my breath? They say, if you get some concentration, you'll see it. You'll have a little sign that will come to you, a special sign. I don't see any bloody sign. When is <laughs> then you keep thinking, I'm doing something wrong. No sign's coming to me. <laughs> and then one time, I remember, I was my third meditation lesson at Wat Maha Tat. I went, I went there, and I, and uh, third time, and I sat down in this place where they they let me practice and. I sat down and somebody slammed a door and the door slammed, I heard this slam and then my mind went into this state of bliss. <laughs> and suddenly I was just, and I stopped thinking and my mind was just in this incredibly blissful state. Just so wonderful. I thought, I had three lessons and I'm enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think it was going to be this easy. <laughs> And so the next day, I, I, uh, I was looking forward to doing this again, and I came <laughs> back, and nobody slammed the door. Maybe that was the problem. <laughs> it? Anyway, I kept trying to, to get this state of bliss, and I just couldn't, you know. Uh, do, what do you do? Does somebody have to slam a door to get it, or, you know, try to figure it out, analyze it, or... And then, then you, you're desperately trying to you remember, because anything that pleasant, you're going to remember, and you, you want it again. And, you know, pleasure is addictive. So, in the, this is why the Buddha points to dukkha all the time, the first noble truth. Because it's something we, we tend to want to run away from or get rid of dismiss, ignore, get rid of, deny. So instead of doing that, we go to it like the, so wanting, wanting that blissful state that I remembered, wanting it. And then I put that in the context of dukkha. Wanting something that I don't have is dukkha. Wanting to have more happiness, like I remembered having the previous day. That wanting is dukkha. So you're going, and that dukkha is to be understood. So you're, you're going to, that's the acceptance, or the metta, is a way of having, accepting the suffering, or the, the misery, or the problem that you're experiencing in the present. Also, in, with emotional problems. We, one thing in a community life, you can say, um, we shouldn't be selfish. And you can really intimidate people by saying they're selfish, especially in a community like this one where everybody's trying not to be selfish. So somebody, would you do this? And they say, no, and they say, you're selfish. <laughs> so you can, 
Uh, uh, most people, we don't want to be selfish. It's not, it's not a nice thing. I don't know anybody in the community that, that admires selfishness. But selfishness, you need to understand it. The, I mean, you, you know, ideally we'd, we'd like to not have it. That's an ideal, not be selfish. But what is selfishness? And so then you, you, you know, when you begin to examine or look at, and to be able to really look at your own selfishness, you have to accept it. Otherwise you're just saying, oh, I shouldn't be selfish. You have a selfish thought, and then you I shouldn't be selfish. You're always kind of fighting with yourself. Emo- ideally, up here, you, you, you're very grand. Emotionally, you're, you're stuck with selfish, with this, with this tension between the ideal and, and what you're actually, what emotional state you're in. So, with the metta, you're, you're having metta for the ideal. That's beautiful ideal. Not being selfish is beautiful. Lovely ideal, but it's an ideal. Remember, an ideal is, is high, and, it, and it's beautiful. But ideals are not emotions. You don't have ideal emotions. Ideals are, you know, static things. They're, they're like, you know, they're the best. They're, but, they don't, but most of our life is, is on the level of feeling and... Uh, and emotional experience, and that's that's not ideal. It's not what should be, but it is what is. So the ideal is is like a guiding star. You know, you have the idea of not being selfish. It's like a direction. That's the something to to respect, and like a, a guiding star. It's high up, and something to keep your direction, keep you going in the right direction. Also, but you need to know where you are. You fall in or fall over the cliff. Something terrible will happen to you if you if you're always looking up at the sky. You'll trip over the log. <laughs> you need to keep the direction. So you have to cope with the realities of of any moment, which are not ideal. They are what they are. So in this, this way of reflecting upon the way it is, you know, what I'm trying to do this evening is uh, to, to, uh, to just r- review the, the teaching given so far, the, the direction of paying attention to the body, to the breath, to the mood you're in. Like the, the, the mental state you're in right now. This, what is it like? And, and having that, when, even if it's terrible, then have metta for that mood. Accepting the mood for what it is. Doesn't mean to follow the mood or to or to suppress it, but to just recognize it this way. And by that acceptance, that patient non-judgment of it, 
then it solves itself. You're not making any karma with that mood. So then the attitude of metta and then the, 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 recog- the, the sound of silence as a, or this sense of listening so that you're, these are all ways of paying attention to the present moment, that being here. And it's all very immediate. It's not like do this in order to get that result, but it is what it is in the present. It's the, the, the result is always... <coughs> you know, is, 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 the, is the present experience. Because more and more as you develop mindfulness, awareness, then, then that is your refuge and the, the other, the, and you see more and more the, the changing conditions in terms of just experience that's happening rather than, than caught into the liking, disliking attachments to it all. Uh, would it be possible to explain the difference between the um, the Buddha mind and the critical mind? Who is the one that awakens? Is that the critical mind or the Buddha mind? Well, the, the the Buddha is. I mean, that's a that's the ability to reflect and to know things as they are. So the the Buddha is. Is, uh, is, is the one who knows things as they are. And then the, the critical mind is usually based on, on uh, cultural values and, and uh, feelings and uh, it deals with the world, you know, about this being better than that and, and uh, this person is good, this person is bad. And, I mean, we, the critical mind in, in, uh, in, is, a, is a good thing. It's not like it's something we shouldn't, we shouldn't be critical. But we tend to be critical out of ignorance, not out of wisdom. So that oftentimes the criticism get, you know, get, we get very judgmental. Like, like uh, if something's bad, then we should get rid of it or kill it, destroy it. If something's good, we, we want to hold on to it, keep it for myself. So, so, but in, but then the Buddha mind, the Buddha is the ability to see that, to see the wanting to hold on to the good, wanting to get rid of the bad. So the Buddha has, is, is the transcending, transcending the critical uh, conditioning of the mind, seeing it in terms of, of, you know, like the Buddha knows that what is subject to arising is subject to ceasing or uh, recognizes the, 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 the suffering involved with attachment, or the, realizes the peace of non-attachment. So in terms of like what we call the Four Noble Truths, then we, the, the, the Buddha, is the, that's our kind of reference for, for uh, say, recognizing suffering, and uh, the experience of suffering, and then the uh, to to understand <coughs> suffering, to let go of the causes of suffering, to not attach to conditions, 
and then to develop the path or the Eightfold Path. And so this is, this is what Buddhas know, what Arahants or perfectly enlightened human beings know. And, and this, is, this is Buddhist uh, terminology, uh, but I mean it's, it's uh, the, uh, the Arahant or the, the, the name of the, kind of the perfected human being. And Arahants know the Four Noble Truths. They might not know um, how to use a computer or anything. Or drive a car. They might not be clever like most of you. But but they know suffering, its cause, the cessation, and the path. (coughs) I mean, Buddha knowledge is, is humbling. It's not like being God where I know everything and I'm the authority and I'm and I'm just, you know, I, I know everything. I've created everything. I know everything. Uh, everything about everything. But, uh, you know, in terms of, in terms of our experience of, of Buddha as a refuge, it's, it's not in knowing everything about everything like God does, but in knowing the way things are in terms of our own experience of them. But in that reference of Dhamma rather than in terms of personal uh, conditioning. Like all that arises ceases is a, is a universe, is a, is a natural law. Very basic pattern. There's nothing that, that arises and just keeps arising. Uh, so everything that is born dies. Everything that arises, well, it, reach, it rises up, it reaches a peak, like your breath, you inhale. Why don't you just keep inhaling? It tries so hard, it reaches a point where you can't even force it. You have to stop there and then the exhale. <laughs> I mean, the, what arises ceases. And that, that, that applies, this way of, I'm looking at well, that applies to good and bad, to demons and to angels and to, it can be, you can see it in the universe, the universal uh, expansion and contraction. But what you can, abs- but you, it's, we can't really see that, know that in a direct way. It's too big, too macrocosmic for us. So, so we have to use this, you know, the, the, the comings and goings of your own thoughts or feelings. But you're studying the pattern, the pattern itself. You're not, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, like expansion of universal systems or just the comings and goings of your own emotions. You're you're learning from, from what you can actually observe in the present. Not, not, you're not kind of trying to know something about something that you can't, really know in any direct way. But you can also extrapolate from, from that, that, that all conditions follow this pattern. So it doesn't matter whether it's just uh, an itch in your body or a foolish uh, emotion that you're having or uh, a universal system expanding and contracting. 
Maybe the time elements are different, but the pattern is exactly the same. So you're, you know, whether it's millions of eons or, 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 or a minute, it's uh, that we're not, we're not uh, quibbling about the time, but about we're, no, we're noticing the pattern. What is subject to arise is subject to ceasing. So this is why we can always, and in the cessation of things, when, <coughs> like to notice when, when things cease in you. That's why it is important, like when anger arises. So you, you feel this anger arising. Immediately, you, you know, if you're meditating, then you can, you're, you're aware that this anger has arisen. You're feeling this sense of ang- being angry right now. So by going to that anger, that feeling, and, and accepting that feeling, then you then it will you you'll also be aware of its cessation because the anger is impermanent, and then you'll you'll be you'll be aware of the absence of anger. So I mean, you're you're in in your experience of life as a human entity, as a human individual, you can you can observe the way things are in terms of your own individual experience, the presence of something and, it, and when it's absent. Because you're, you're, that mindfulness is, a, is equally aware of the present, also it can be aware of the absence of it. So that, that but say in, in worldly life, we don't tend to notice the the space or the absence or the silence. We're, we're so, you know, the more kind of heedless you are, you're always going from one thing to another. You know, like an, an, an addict of some sort is always just going on to the next hit. Or you've got to, you've got to have, you know, you get addicted to television or <clears throat> food, or you're always having to do something, uh, have something happening to you. Uh, to feel alive, and so those spaces where where there's nothing happening or where there's blank, one just feels very ill at ease and bored or or threatened by it. So we go on to the next thing, run around, or maybe we just go to sleep. You know, try to just pass out into oblivion for a while because we've, we're too tired out trying to be entertained or be stimulated. But then with, with, the, with meditation you're, you're giving paying attention to the process that's taking place. The presence like an emotion whatever emotion you're having you, you're suddenly looking at it you're, you're recognizing it feels like this. Is not, you're not judging it anymore, saying, I shouldn't feel like this. It feels like this, like anger feels like this. And then when it's gone, it's easy. You, you sustain on that feeling or that mood, holding your, you're kind of accepting it, embracing it, and letting it be, feeling it, willing to feel it. And then it drops, it ceases. And then make a special note of its absence, like the anger's gone. Don't feel angry anymore. 
so that your 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 uh, your consciousness is your informing consciousness about both the presence and the absence of conditions. So then you're aware, more and more aware of the deathless or the unconditioned, <coughs> or that which isn't born and doesn't die, which is here and now, but which we we may. You can't, you can't find it as an object. You can realize it through mindfulness. It's like you know, we're trying to prove the existence of God. It's just like, it's like you know, who am I to go around saying there is or isn't? You know, when you think of it, it might, you know, it might <laughs> the authority on whether there is or isn't God. And so people want, you know, they want proof. What is the deathless anyway? Prove it. And so then you, you know, you can't, you can't how can you prove it? You can't say, you know, it's it's, it's purple, <laughs> or something like that. It, it's oval shaped and purple, but it's not like something you can you can define, but something you real. It's reality. So I mean, it recognize that we're very much right now. We're very much, uh, you know, the experience is 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 a very strong one of your body and consciousness and these are death-bound conditions. I mean just when you, you contemplate your own existential experience, you know, being but being born as a human being, you've got to put up with a lifetime of this, this heavy thing and its aging and, and its sensitivity, you know, and it's all changing conditions and it's death-bound. So this is a very strong experience, being having human body and being conscious. Of being, it's a very strong and very powerful, very absorbing, very deluding experience. So that, but then the, but then it would be hopeless if there was no way out of it. If we were just, if all we are are just conditioned creatures, then we'd have no way of reflecting on it. We just you know, you just be programmed to do this and think like procreate the species and die and then keep it all going on a kind of mechanical basis and just operate like this. There's nothing more to it than that. Just some kind of, you know, mechanical procedures that take place. But notice in, 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 in our, in this human state, we I mean, we have we can have the same kind of animal instincts as as a cat or a dog, you know, hunger, procreation of the species. These are all much a part of our life as as, as the animal kingdom, and we uh, we you know when it comes to survival and all things like this. But we also have this sense of the divine, don't we? We aspire. Something in us is, is uh, 
isn't, isn't, we can't just be content with procreating the species, eating, surviving, and dying. That's not enough for us. To just, you know, we, 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 we wonder about the meaning of life and what, what happens after death, things like this. Why do we do that? Where animals, I mean, I don't know what animals think, but they don't seem to, you know, worry about what happens when they die. Maybe they do, I don't know. <laughs> but they, have, they don't kind of write it down anyway, <laughs> like we do. And so then they, then also in this state we're in, because of the, the power and the pressure and the frustration and irritation of this, of birth in a human form, till it dies, it gives us a lot of suffering. We're always, you know, this dukkha is a very common experience to all of us, every human being. Because we're born and then we, we're always in this state of, of some being irritated by something, of having to survive, having to, it's either too hot or too cold or do we sit too long or walk too much or you're always getting tired, you have to rest, have to eat, have to bathe, have to sleep, have to you get sick and get the flu, get a cold, toothache and all that goes on, you know, the whole history of human lifetime <laughs> of the of this the basic irritations, not to mention all the special ones. So then the, then the, the only, and so this is obviously a state that isn't, we're not meant to find a, a permanent abiding place in this state we're in. We're not meant to, to have permanent homes and have eternal uh, bodies, immortal human bodies and things like that. That's not, not, it's ridiculous. Because we don't, you know, in terms of we don't really belong here. This is a tran transitory experience that we're all involved in, or everyone's involved in. And so that we, and then the way to understand it is through this mindfulness. It's the only way we can understand it. By accepting it, by noticing, by paying attention to it, rather than analyzing it in, ter in, its, in terms of its values and its qualities. Because like the critical mind will see it in terms of what should be and what shouldn't be. Like we can, like a utopian society is what should be. And then we, we can create a, an image of a utopian society where everybody is equal and everything is fair. There's no unfairness and everybody is respected, completely democratic. There's no corruption. People are moral, honest, dependable, trustworthy, uh, good. And they're all good-looking. It wouldn't be fair, would it, to have a utopian society with some people <laughs> good-looking and some people not. Uh, 
I mean, we can, you know, the idea of a, of a, 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 the ideal society, we can, we can create with a mind. We can imagine the very best and then put all the best together and say, that's how it should be. But remember, that's like the taking the peak moments of everything and saying that's how it, something should be all the time. But society is like this. I mean, it's, it's full of just injustice, unfairness, inequalities, <laughs> problems, uh, stupidities, as well as the other. I mean, there's a lot of good things in that, but then peak moments and and uh, har- harmonious experiences and and uh, great success. But there's also a lot of the other too: failures and disharmony and so forth. And, but Mindfulness allows us to see the flow, the, the changing flux of this. It doesn't, you're not, you're not comparing the present moment with, with the, the existing experience right now with a utopian ideal. So you, you're more prepared to, to, uh, Accept the deal with life as as you're as as you're as you're experiencing it, and which may be that it it can be, you know, it can be totally unfair and miserable. But you can also deal with that wisely if you have this this kind of understanding. Because it's not, yes. Well, karma, I mean, there's like personal karma uh, is what we, what we can stop creating. In the sense of the, the kind of karma that comes out of ignorance and, uh, and all the illusions of a self. So in the, when, we're, when we are mindful, then, then there's no self, you know, and, and we're using mindfulness and wisdom, then there's no self-operating, but there's still action taking place. Like one can do something, but one's not doing it from ignorance, so that the karmic result isn't is no longer personal result. It's no longer mine. So, so it might be it might be a good result for the society, or even for for me as a as a human entity. But it's no longer interpreted in terms of or one is no longer expecting or demanding uh, rewards or for good actions or anything like that. So, and it's also, you find more and more, you're, you're, you know, like if, in, in terms of our experience of life, we, we're, we usually come from the sense of I am the body, I am this person. And then we act on those on those assumptions. So we do do good things from those. So the, the advice is is in with it, you know, for people who are not enlightened, is to do good and refrain from doing evil. Kind of basic advice. Do good and refrain from doing evil. And the, and then then the then purify the mind. 
So the, the kind of foundation for karmic action is to do good so that the karma is good and refrain from doing bad things. So then, but then sometimes we don't know what is good or bad. So we, we, uh, we might see something like, like very narrow-minded people, you know, that see that only, you know, like seeing foreigners or alien people is bad because they, they don't look the same as we do. Like somebody could see, see me and see bad, you know, they see me as a maybe satanic influence on, on the British society because I don't look like an English person or like a Christian or like somebody that they can see that they would define as good. So they say, do, do we, we, they should uh, think it's good to get rid of the bat, like burn the witches, things like that is good. But that's not, but it, with that, that's not true, you know, to burn the witches Maybe the witches are doing bad things, but to, to persecute witches is also bad karma. But yet, there's no wisdom, is there, in, in that, that attitude? Like trying to kill the devil, destroy evil, uh, and all that. With, with that kind of righteousness, we, we do a lot of harm. Our intention might be good. But the, but the wisdom isn't there to know. So in this, this way, like there's the metta, which is accepting and, and uh, all the, the totality, good and bad, all possibility, all potential. Then everything belongs. So whatever happens, we can accept that. It's no longer... It shouldn't be like this. This is this is this is the way it is right now. And in that patient acceptance, then we we uh, we can respond to a situation. Like if there's something to do, we can do that. But if there's anything to do, then we don't do it. But we're not into the idea that we've got to do something. We're not coming from this compulsive thing of having to do good. Because sometimes not doing anything is what's most useful. Isn't it? Waiting or biding one's time. How many mistakes have you made by kind of wanting to do good and kind of forcing yourself on somebody and, and making them hate you? I've done that to a lot of people. I've got a really good idea. And I you should be doing this. <laughs> and uh, get away from that guy. <laughs> you should all become monks and nuns. That's a good idea, isn't it? <laughs> Shave your hair. <laughs> good idea. But not you know, the time and the place. Barbers wouldn't like you either. <laughs> Barbers, the hairdressers. <laughs> <I know they're laughs>
<laughs> I, was, I was in the public market in Seattle a few years ago. You know that famous market? They have a famous public market in the city of Seattle where I'm from, and they, we were walking through there, and uh, suddenly this, we pass a barber shop. There are about three of us monks. <laughs> the barber starts screaming. <laughs> He says, they'll ruin my business. <laughs> well, enough time for levity. Now you can go practice mindfulness in the fourth posture. <laughs> you know what that is? <laughs>